The latest from 7 News with Angela Cox. Good evening and welcome tonight. Half a million new vaccine doses touched down in Australia. Patient Zero, the man blamed for sparking Sydney and Melbourne's lockdowns, defends himself. The gold rush goes on. Another win in the pool for our incredible Paralympians. And Mamma Mia, here we go again. Abba's back with new music, what to expect in the coming hours. But we begin tonight with a new vaccine milestone for Australia. More than 20 million doses have now been administered. Australians received more than 330,000 vaccines in the past 24 hours. We're on track to reach the 70% fully vaccinated target on the 30th of October. And the all-important 80% needed for a full national reopening is predicted to happen in around 75 days in mid-November. And the rollout could speed up soon. These pictures are just in. That's half a million extra Pfizer doses arriving into Sydney Airport from Singapore tonight. A much-needed boost. There's renewed focus on the vaccination rate in Victoria. As officials there realise it's likely their only way out of lockdown. Another 176 cases were reported overnight. Christy Cooper is live for us in Melbourne tonight. Christy, there's been a major shift in AstraZeneca guidance there. Yeah, there certainly has, Ange. The gap between first and second AstraZeneca doses has been halved to just six weeks in a move to try to speed up Victoria's vaccination rollout. Now, that um, means anyone who's got their second appointment already booked can now bring it forward. And there are currently more than 50,000 AstraZeneca appointments free in the system for anyone who wants one in the next few weeks. The ATAGI guideline says that it's OK between four and 12 weeks. So they're not having to change at all. What that means is that by shortening the time between them, we can now get as many people as possible double vaccinated before they're exposed to COVID-19. And that's likely to be sooner rather than later here in Victoria because the situation is rapidly evolving. 176 new cases today was a massive record for us, significantly up from yesterday, 120, and that in itself was a big record too. So the situation is quickly changing and the Victoria the Victorian government has accepted we are no longer trying to get back to COVID zero as we have with all other outbreaks. Instead, the goal now is to try to keep the numbers as low as possible until we have enough of the population vaccinated. We currently have 61 people in hospital here in Victoria. Of those, 20 are in ICU and 13 are currently on a ventilator. But our hospitals are now bracing for a surge in cases because they know there's usually about a one one week to 10 day gap from when people first get diagnosed with COVID to ending up needing hospitalisation for that small percentage that will. So hospitals now are bracing for what's to come. But there is some happier news here in Victoria, particularly for young families. Some respite coming in the morning with the reopening of playgrounds. It does come with some strict new rules though. Only children under 12 will be allowed. Everyone will have to check in with a QR code and in a move to try and stop mums and dads catching up at the playground for a coffee, food and drink will be banned. And Okay, Chrissy Cooper in Melbourne for us. Thank you. The limousine driver blamed for sparking Sydney's Delta outbreak has defended himself again after being fined for not wearing a mask. Serena Andaloro is in Sydney for us tonight. Serena, what did he say? 
Well, Ange, good evening to you. Remember, this is the man who is believed to be patient zero in this outbreak, the limo driver who transported those international air crew to uh, the hotel quarantine unvaccinated. Well, you might remember the other day he was fined $500 for not wearing a mask and he was caught by a Daily Telegraph photographer and snapped... Uh, but our cameras caught up with him today and he told us that he will be disputing that fine. And he also says he's become a bit of a scapegoat and he's been the subject of threats. Take a listen. I don't know where I picked it up, but I follow the rules. I've always been wearing my mask, always in work. If I don't wear mask or my gloves, police will suspend it. I feel ter terrible what's happening now in the state, you know, but I can't do anything. I, I, I went through it. You know, it was I yeah, suffered. I it was so. It. It was so painful uh, being at home and uh, being isolated. And meantime, Serena, staff at Liverpool Hospital have given an insight into what life is like on the COVID ward. And I tell you what, Ange, it is some pretty sobering footage. A look inside Liverpool Hospital, which is, of course, uh, in the southwest of Sydney, the epicentre of this outbreak. It shows COVID patients clinging to life. Doctors and nurses simply exhausted. One nurse says every day is the worst day. Take a listen to that. I've helped, unfortunately, look after a number of patients who haven't made it. And, you know, when, when we're with dying patients, we like to be in there and hold their hands and talk to them and have their families with them. Uh, often I'm holding a telephone while they're speaking their last sort of words to their family. The worst day is every day. Um, every day you're actually assisting patients that are struggling to breathe, that are away from their families and their, you know, their loved ones really does hit home doesn't it currently there are 958 people in hospitals across sydney today we recorded 1288 cases but we did reach an important milestone 70 percent of us have had our first dose of the vaccine i myself had my second dose I'm feeling a little bit off tonight but a lot stronger than yesterday yes well we like it another person double vax thank you serena and delora Students and staff at a school on the Gold Coast are in isolation tonight after two children boasted to their classmates about their family sneaking back from Melbourne. Some of the family members are unwell, but we don't know if it's COVID. We have to treat it as, as if it is. For more, let's go to Georgia. Terry Liferis in Brisbane tonight. Georgia, is the family cooperating with authorities? Well, Ange, the family initially said that they wouldn't get tested for COVID-19, but this afternoon they had a change of heart and now we're hearing reports that they have tested negative. The school has posted online saying that parents, students and staff no longer need to isolate and that the school isn't regarded as an exposure site at this stage. Now, uh, what we are hearing is that, um, you know, everything could have been avoided at this stage. Now, Queensland Health are yet to actually confirm this, but at this stage, it looks like we may have avoided a lockdown. Well, that is good. Some, some good news in Georgia. Also, more good news. Common sense has prevailed. A family separated by the border closures is going to be reunited. 
Yes, well, and three-year-old Memphis has been stuck on his grandparents' farm in New South Wales for two months, stuck with border closures. Now, his mum says she asked for numerous exemptions from the state government but was knocked back. But this afternoon, Memphis has been given a green light to travel back home. He will be taken across the border by Angel Flight and the reunion is expected to be quite an emotional one, I think. Okay, well, thanks so much, Georgia Terry. Anastasia Palaszczuk's handling of the pandemic and the double standards about who can and can't enter the state has drawn widespread criticism, including from the federal health minister today. Have a listen. In terms of compassion, um, we know that uh, league players and their partners have been allowed into Queensland. The fact that beautiful young children or patients with cancer are being denied entry is, I think, a profound moral failure. This is a profound moral failure. Rob Scott is in Canberra for us this evening. Rob, it wasn't just the lack of compassion Greg Hunt pulled her up on. No, it wasn't, Ange. He also accused her of selectively misusing the Doherty modelling, which the National Reopening Plan is based on, and undermining the confidence in it when she claimed today that based on that modelling, even with 70% of the population vaccinated, more than 2,000 people a month would die from COVID. But the Minister says the Doherty Institute has made it clear that with proper precautions and no lockdowns, that can be reduced to 13 deaths a month. Now, he also took her to task over her demands for more research to be done on the impact the Delta strain has on children under 12 before she's willing to commit to lifting Queensland's borders. The Chief Medical Officer, Professor Paul Kelly, says while children can catch and indeed pass on the virus, it doesn't affect them as badly as adults. And vaccines have not been approved for use in children anywhere in the world. Children in general do not get severe illness. There have only been three children under the age of 12 that have been admitted to intensive care. Three out of 3,815. That is way less than one in a thousand. Rob, people over 60 who still aren't vaccinated can expect a letter in the post soon. Yeah, they can indeed, Ange. The Prime Minister has co-signed a letter that will be sent to more than half a million Australians aged between 60 and 69 who have still not received a shot, warning them that they have a greatly increased risk of getting severe disease and must be vaccinated as soon as possible, basically telling them not to wait for more Pfizer jabs to arrive, which of course has now been prioritised for younger people, but to go and get AstraZeneca, because if they do decide to hold out for Pfizer, they might be waiting until December. Mm. Okay, Rob Scott in Canberra for us. Thank you. A disturbing number of Australians are falling for a sham COVID cure being peddled by conspiracy theorists online. One of Australia's top doctors has sounded the alarm about patients self-medicating with ivermectin usually used in livestock. Have a listen. The reality is there are, there are many trials that have been done in ivermectin. Not a single one of them have shown them to be effective. Absolutely and categorically, please do not take unproven medicines at this time. Associate Professor Narangunja is a toxicologist at Westmead Hospital at the centre of Sydney's outbreak. Doctor, for those of us who don't know, can you explain to us what ivermectin is? What is it usually used to treat? Right, so ivermectin is a... Uh, an antibiotic-like drug, but it's used uh, in the treatment of worm infestations or parasitic infections, uh, both in humans and animals, um, but commonly used in horses and sheep.
sheep uh, and swine for uh, various worm uh, infections in these animals. So what are you seeing in your ward, patients who've taken the drug? Well, we've had a few patients who have come in with uh, the toxic side effects of ivermectin uh, overdose. Um, they've bought these uh, products online. Um, you can't get them as a script usually uh, because you don't have a worm problem. These are COVID positive patients that were looking up um, COVID cures on the internet and then um, procuring them uh, online, perhaps from overseas, and then swallowing a range of products uh, which could be pills, paste, um, sometimes even uh, injectables for animals that they're swallowing. Are these people who have been vaccinated? Uh, in general, no, they uh, haven't been vaccinated, um, but they have been looking up COVID cures on the internet. So in those that say they don't want to be vaccinated, did you ask them why they'd be reluctant to have a vaccine that's been proven to be relatively safe by and large, but they are willing to take something that's normally used for horses? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, but we certainly um, encourage them to do the right thing and go and get vaccinated, protect themselves and their families from severe COVID and death, uh, as opposed to um, buying and swallowing unproven um, medications on the internet intended for animals, um, which can just make them sick and certainly won't make their COVID any better. Your hospital is under immense pressure right now. What extra stress does it add to you and your team when people present having tried unproven treatments like this? Uh, we would certainly prefer that people didn't come in with taking medications intended for animals that they shouldn't be. Um, much better that they use their time uh, wisely to go and get vaccinated and that protects all of us and reduces the burden on the health system. Okay, good advice. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. A construction worker has been airlifted to hospital after reports a 300-kilogram chain fell on him. The man has serious head, leg, back and chest injuries and was placed in an induced coma. He had been working on the rebuild of Allianz Stadium in Sydney. Safe Work New South Wales and police are investigating. Flying the Nazi flag in public is set to be outlawed for the first time anywhere in Australia. The landmark reforms are being driven by the Victorian government, which is taking the ban to state parliament next year. It follows a rise in neo-Nazi activity. And AFL chief Gil McLaughlin has arrived in Perth, spending his first of 14 days in hotel quarantine ahead of the grand final. Under WA's restrictions, only people from South Australia, the Northern Territory and Tasmania can attend the September 25 event. I think we'll hopefully sell out the, the prelim and the grand final is going to be massive and we'll have all the events leading into it. So it's going to be, I think, an amazing experience um, for our players, for our game and clearly for Western Australians. Our medal-winning Paralympians are going to receive the same cash bonuses as Olympians. The government is fixing the discrepancy, giving Paralympics Australia extra funding. Billionaire developer Harry Trigoboff is also chipping in, donating $5,000 to each medalist. Let's go live now to Tokyo and correspondent Joel Dry is at a rather soggy athletics track. Joel, we have a new world champ in the long jump. Yeah, we do, Ange. Good evening. It was looking like being a wet and miserable night here at the Tokyo Olympic Stadium, but it is now a golden night thanks all to Vanessa Lowe, our long jump superstar, who is the new gold medalist here at the Paralympics. 
and if you don't mind, also the new world record holder with a big jump of 5 metres 28 centimetres. Her story is a beautiful one. It's not her first gold medal. She has previously competed for Germany, but this is a love story, And She was brought to Australia by her husband, Scotty Reardon, also a Paralympian sprinter, and they have picked Australia as their country to call their home, and we're so grateful to have her because she is now delivering gold medals for us. And here to witness it was a relatively small but a very passionate crowd, and in amongst them was Riley Batt, our co-captain of the Paralympic team. Riley, mate, what a night to be here to witness. Mate, unreal night. Just to be here watching Vanessa break a world record, you know, 528. I know it's not her PB that she can do more, but that, you know, is a world record in itself. Um, watching her do that also in front of Scott Reed and her husband, the tears on his face, uh, I mean, that's the best thing ever. As the captain, it must be a really proud night for you to, uh, you know, be here, witness it and cheer them on. Super proud, mate. Look, I was very excited for our program to be finished on the fifth day because I could then come to these events and watch all the Australian mob compete and, and do their best. So today I've been out and about doing as much as I possibly can. I'm very thankful I chose to come to athletics tonight. So, Andrew, really good night here at the Olympic Stadium, but it's been a great night all round. Yeah, it has. The pool, plenty of golds and records there too, Jock. A world record again for Will Martin. He smashed it in his heat this morning and he backed it up with another world record in the final, importantly claiming his gold medal. And he was not alone because very shortly after that, Ben Hans in the 100 metres backstroke delivered another gold medal. And if you thought that was enough, well, we had another surprise. Rachel Watson in her 50 metre splash and dash freestyle, a third gold medal for the Aussie Dolphins in the pool. And then they rounded it out with another medal, a bronze for our women's medley relay team. So an incredible night. That is four gold medals for our Paralympic team. It's round about one of our best nights and it really bumps us up the medal tally. It's not all about medals, but gee, they're nice to win and it makes watching it all the more special. Yeah, they are nice to win. What a cracker night. Thank you so much, Joel. They vowed never to reform, but Swedish superband ABBA is singing a very different tune, taking to TikTok to tell the world they're dropping an album in the early hours of tomorrow. Network Finance Editor Gemma Acton joins us now for more on this. Um, let's talk about the money, money, money they can make from this. That was a very modern sort of announcement. What do we know about the album? Very much so. Like we said, TikTok was just for teenagers. Well, as you said, Abba's always said since they disbanded in 1982, they are absolutely not getting back together. They were even offered apparently a billion dollars back in 2000 to do a world tour, which they declined. They've always said, look, we have enough money and we want you to remember us in our glory days. Uh, from, from back in the 70s and early 80s. I don't know exactly what's changed now, but about three years ago they said, wouldn't it be fun to get back in the studio and make some more music together? And this album that's coming out now is the fruit of that work. So they've been working on it for a couple of years now. Uh, we're also going to see from them next May a hologram show, which is going to be in London, a mixture of their old footage, um, some new stuff, some live, some recorded, and that's going to play on until 2025. Obviously there are a lot of changes now with COVID, but more broadly with how music is marketed. How is it done these days? Well, technology has always been really useful for distribution, so helping people discover new music. In the 1920s, radio was really, really, really useful. 1950s, we started getting the advent of the music video, which really had its heyday around 30 years later when we had the MTV generation. The internet has opened up a whole new world of marketing opportunities, so you can get musicians going directly to the public through their profiles on Instagram, for example, or using TikTok as another example. 
It's more complicated by something like a Spotify, which is the distribution channel where people can listen in. Recently, Spotify has started offering something where musicians can effectively pay a fee to have their music promoted to listeners who Spotify has identified might actually like their new music. And it doesn't sound all that novel, but it's actually extremely controversial. It's reminding people of um, payola, which was a system pay for play, a bit like cash for comment, where radio DJs back in the 1950s would accept money to play certain songs. And so the question is, should Spotify really be targeting us with songs that we're supposed to like, but actually they're getting paid for it? So not clear yet how this will all shake out, um, but certainly the, the power of distribution platforms like Spotify is really increasing. And if they can't tour as much, obviously, at the moment with COVID, uh, we're not really buying albums the old-fashioned way. How do pop stars make money? Well, a lot of them, sadly, are not making money at the moment. I mean, if you, if you look at the most successful pop star in the world right now, which is Rihanna, who's worth about $2.3 billion, a lot of her money comes from the success of her beauty makeup brand, uh, as well as her lingerie brand. And a lot of these musicians use their profiles to do successful entrepreneurial side gigs. When you get down to more ordinary musicians who, who don't have that level of status, a lot of them were pretty reliant on overseas tours and merchandise selling, if not just tours around the country. So around the world, a lot are heavily dependent right now on government subsidies. Uh, the split between distribution platforms like Spotify, record labels and musicians has not yet been figured out as continuing to evolve. Um, but one exciting area for musicians is non-fungible tokens or NFTs. These are effectively digital tokens where a musician can put whatever they want on it. So it could be a song, it could be an album, it could be VIP tickets to a concert. They issue a limited amount of these, just say 100, and they can never be copied. So there'll only ever be 100 of these in existence. They can be bought and sold between fans. Every time they get bought and sold, the original musician can get a cut of those proceeds. So it's a way that the musician can keep uh, earning money earning a revenue stream for their content years into the future. That's new territory, but it's very promising for artists. I thought TikTok was modern. <laughs> That's something entirely new. Okay, thanks so much, Deb. Thanks, Ange. As millions of Australians linger in lockdown, life is very different for expats living abroad. In the latest in our Living with COVID reports, we're taking you to Ireland. Brianna Parkins is an Australian journalist and television presenter based in Dublin. She joins us now. Thank you, Brianna. Does it feel strange for you watching Australia from a distance right now? It's almost like being in a time machine. It feels like I'm watching the past because we had our Delta outbreak over Christmas between December and January and we endured a five-month hard lockdown. So it's strange seeing Sydney Siders go through what the Irish went through. There is some vaccine hesitancy here. What kind of messaging do you have there around vaccinations? The government's made it clear if you'd like to participate in Irish society, you will need a vaccine. Otherwise, you'll have to get costly uh, COVID-19 tests. So they've made it actually quite difficult for people who are unvaccinated. But I will say that the vaccine take-up rate is hovering around the, the 80 to 90 percent mark in Ireland because you have to remember that we saw the devastating consequences of COVID-19 much more than Australia. Our death rate is, is 5,000. And remember, Ireland's a very, very small country. It's only 5 million people. So most people would know someone who has has been seriously affected by COVID. So people were very, very keen on getting vaccinated in Ireland. Mm. Brianna, you have family here. How hard has it been effectively being locked out of Australia? I mean, I looked at the flights this morning and uh, Singapore Airways, one of, the, one of the most reliable routes, is, is not accepting bookings. 
Um, I was quoted 16,000 one way um, by Qatar Airlines and I couldn't get a flight home until November. So it's incredibly difficult knowing that there is no date for me to return. And of course I lost my grandfather and I couldn't get back in time um, to see him. But at the same time, I did see the effects that Australia put into place by locking down the borders. You know, did it save lives? Did it actually give my granddad a better quality of life towards the end? It's something that I have to have to balance up. And so for Australians here wondering whether or not they should get the jab, you're in the future. You know, what's 80% look like when a lot of people are vaccinated and you can start having your freedoms again? So there's, there's hope on the horizon. Things are starting to open up. We have been allowed back inside what we call wet pubs, so pubs that only serve alcohol for the first time since Paddy's Day 2020, which is a long time between drinks for a country like Ireland. Earlier this week, the Taoiseach, which is what we call the Irish Prime Minister equivalent, he said that most restrictions would be lifted by October 22nd. Now, that means things like nightclubs, festivals, all the things that we've missed out on over the past nearly two years. While we jealously watched Australians go to those things, you can start having people inside your house. You're able to have weddings again. You're able to have Holy Communions and christenings again. That was a big thing. It's a very Catholic country. Okay, thanks so much, Brianna Parkins, for your insights. Thank you. At least nine people have died in a flash flooding emergency in New York City and New Jersey as remnants of Storm Ida linger on the U.S. east coast. A tornado was also recorded in the state today. The city has declared a state of emergency and total travel ban due to the historic weather event. Almost eight centimetres of rain fell in Central Park, shattering a record set only last week. Three Colorado police officers and two paramedics have been charged over the death of Elijah McLean, a black man who died in 2019. The 23-year-old was walking home from a shop when he was placed in a hold and injected with a sedative after he reportedly acted suspiciously. He later died in hospital. All five defendants were charged with manslaughter and criminally negligent homicide. And the US Supreme Court has refused to block a new law that bans virtually all abortions in Texas. The law allows people to sue women who have abortions after a heartbeat is detected around six weeks into a pregnancy. It allows no exemptions in cases of rape or incest. At least 12 other American states have imposed abortion bans early in pregnancy, but all have been blocked before taking effect. Now Gemma Acton's back with a look at the markets. Thanks, Angela. For a second day running, major Asian markets have posted a positive result, while local markets have slipped. Much of that downwards pressure was due to some of our largest companies, including BHP, CSL and Woolworths, going ex-dividend today. And there is a raft of data coming out tonight in the US. Most eagerly awaited are the latest jobless numbers for more clues on the strength of the economic recovery. Ahead of that, US futures are gently higher. The oil price is stable. That's after the OPEC cartel of major oil-producing nations stood by its decision to increase output in October. And the Aussie dollar is continuing to push back towards 74 US cents. It's now at its highest level in a month. Ange. Thank you for your company this evening. From the team here at 7 News, that is the latest. I'm Angela Cox. Good night. <laughs>